Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on the staff at, uh, at Church on the Trail. I am so thankful that you are tuning in via Facebook Live. Uh, the powerful name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful song that we were just led, being led into his presence. And, and I just want to say a couple of words before we get started this morning that, that how awesome is it that we live in a time where the name of Jesus can be proclaimed even more through technology. So there are churches all over the planet that are live streaming the gospel. And so I'm just super thankful that we live in a time that that's taken place. I want to just give you a couple little things uh, this morning for our church family. You know, we had this last week, Facebook Live, we're calling it Cot Connect, the different things that we're doing uh, throughout the week. And we're live pretty much every day of the week doing something, proclaiming the name of Christ at the end of the day. And I want you to know that different videos that we shot and did live this last week uh, in the last seven days have been viewed a, a little over 10,000 times. And so the name of Christ was proclaimed and viewed, you know, nine or 10,000 times uh, over this last seven days. Just a few, a few numbers. We had 5,000, a little more than 5,000 engagements on these posts. So I encourage y'all to tune in to this Cot Connect. You know, it's Mondays and Tuesdays at noon for a little lunch break. And on Wednesday, um, we had live worship from Stephen and Melody's living room. And then a message from uh, uh, mine and Susan's living room. And then we took communion together. What an incredible thing it was to do communion together online at the end of the message uh, Wednesday night from Richard and Rhonda Moore's house. And y'all let us know that you were, whatever elements you were using for communion. And, and those videos were viewed a ton. And we're going to do that again this Wednesday. And then we had stuff on Thursday and Friday as well. And I want to encourage you two things for this week. Connect with us when you can during the week. This Tuesday at lunchtime, where I'm gonna, it's gonna be, uh, I'm gonna do a Facebook live, and we have a special guest, Stephen Kendrick, one of the uh, one of the guys, one of the Kendrick brothers, who, uh, you know, the movie, the movie, the film guys, is gonna be live with me on Tuesday, and then we're doing the same thing we did last Wednesday on this Wednesday, and I want to encourage you one more thing, we're doing a blood uh, blood drive because uh, the Red Cross is super low on blood all over the country, so this Thursday. Uh, from 2 to 7, we're doing a blood drive, and you would sign up at redcrossblood.org, and you'll set up an appointment. The sponsor code is COTT, C-O-T-T. -T. So I want to encourage you to do that because they're desperately uh, in need. Last thing, we as a church prayed uh, at hospitals uh, this weekend. Lights flashing, um, prayer over all of the hospital, the nurses, the doctors, and the support staff at the hospitals. Very encouraging, man. Y'all send people you know that work at hospitals, send them an encouraging text message. They really, really do need it. I wanna, I wanna transition quickly to a, a time of, uh, of giving, a time of being generous. Uh, and, and obviously we're not passing the buckets because we would just pass the buckets from Ben to me and across here, but here's the deal churchonthetrail.org slash give and you can uh, you can contribute you can uh, place your ties place your offerings in a virtual bucket right let me pray over that and then we'll get started with the message <clears throat> Lord we love you today we thank you for your goodness 
Lord, I pray that churches all over the world will right now be proclaiming your gospel. The mighty name of Jesus will be proclaimed all over the world. Lord, we pray uh, over the tithe, over the offering, the contributions that people are making as well to churches all over the world, that, uh, that, that those funds would be used to, to proclaim your name, that, those, that, that that money would be used to lead people into a relationship with you. And our offering, Lord, we pray a special blessing over it that you would double it and triple it to lead people back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we're so excited that our men's pastor, Richard Moore, is going to bring you a message that the Lord is going to use Richard, the Lord is going to speak through him, and uh, y'all welcome him. Good morning, everybody. We're glad that you can see us even though we can't see you. And uh, there's, there's one other thing that happened in the online life of Church on the Trail over the last week or so that Ed failed to mention. A little disappointed, to be real honest, that he didn't mention this, but a couple of weeks ago was he and Susan's uh, wedding anniversary, I think maybe the 32nd or 37th, I can't remember. And so on the night of their anniversary, they decided to dance in their living room and video it, and they did. They busted some moves, if you know what I'm saying. And so they posted it on their Facebook pages, and just locally or, or you know, from all their friends, they ended up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of views. And uh, USA Today picked it up. It went viral. Our pastor has gone viral. So I just wanted to make sure you guys were aware of that. And uh, so if you're friends with Ed and Susan on Facebook, you've got to check out that video. And you need to share it because more people need to see them dancing. And probably the most important thing that comes out of all of that, uh, the local news station interviewed uh, Ed and Susan about it. It was really cool. The, the most important point of it all is this. My pastor and his wife are cooler than yours. It's not a contest. We're all winners in Jesus' eyes. But get you a pastor who will dance in his living room with his wife to KC and the Sunshine Band Boogie Shoes. It was awesome. So uh, thank you, Ed and Susan, for, for being amazing. And, uh, and, and thank you guys for checking in with us today. We're in a, actually in the second week of a message series called Three Days. And what we're trying to do in kind of a narrative form or narrative pace, we're trying to look at the, the three days that led up to Easter Sunday. Last week, Ed shared a message with us about, uh, about the, that had to do with the Last Supper, uh, that had to do with Jesus going on trial for, for blasphemy, uh, which is, of course, what eventually led to his crucifixion. We talked uh, about uh, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' most famous disciples, who denied him in the midst of all of that going on. Today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the events that actually took place when Christ died on the cross. The word we use for that is the crucifixion. We're going to talk about it. We're going to look in Scripture. and We're going to find out what it is that God wants to say to us this morning as we remember the death of His Son. Now, 
what happened just prior to in the uh, during the day leading up to Jesus dying on the cross after he was tried and convicted of blasphemy and the and the sentence and the punishment of crucifixion was handed down to him at one point in that process uh, Jesus was turned over by the Roman the, the Roman authority at the time, a man named Pontius Pilate, and he turned him over to his, his, a, a group of soldiers who were instructed to scourge Jesus. And during this time, during this time, Jesus underwent a beating that is almost indescribable and almost is really difficult for us to understand. When someone was to be humiliated and shamed for crimes done under Roman law, the ultimate death sentence was crucifixion. But often, even prior to crucifixion, you would go through scourging. And so what happened for a number of hours, Christ himself, the man who for three years had traveled the, the re, all over the region, healing people, teaching life-changing truth, Casting demons out of people who had been oppressed by the devil for their entire lives or for decades. This man who had done nothing but amazing good things underwent, underwent a, a, a torture session that actually in the day, sometimes m many people wouldn't even survive. But Jesus did indeed survive it. There, he was punched in the face. They, they, they created a crown of thorns with, with uh, one to two inch long thorns. And they, and they pressed it down on his head. They were beating him with, with whips that had different leather strands, and it, multiple leather strands. And at the end of the leather, leather strands, there would be bone chips. There would be uh, pottery. There would be glass. There would be things that would dig into the person's back when they were struck with the whip, and then the, ex and the, and then the torturer would jerk the whip back, ripping flesh from bone. The blood was flowing in, a, in, in an almost unreal degree during the scourging. When all that was done, when all that was done, it was time for Jesus to pick up a Roman cross, a Roman cross, and carry it down what is now known as the way of suffering to the, play, to the hill on which he would be crucified. You know, you may see in the, uh, in the camera shot that you're watching this morning that we have here at our altar a cross that was made for us. We keep it up here. This is a really wonderful symbol for us. A lot of people who worship in this building have had really meaningful moments of prayer and ministry and connection with God coming and standing around this cross or kneeling around this cross. This is a cool cross. It's a great reminder to us. But you know, it's pretty much, it's pretty much sanded out. It's, it's, it's kind of a smooth little structure here. A Roman cross was anything but. A Roman cross that was used to execute criminals, which it was deemed on this day that Jesus was one. A Roman cross was a 
rough, splintery, massive, much larger than this replica we have here, massive cross section of wood. And the criminals would drag their cross up to the hill or to the region or the place, whatever location they were going to be crucified on. And as they were... As they were doing that, this is where we're going to pick up our story. We're going to read out of the book of, uh, of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament part of Scripture. And so we'd like you, if you will, and you, if you have Scripture with you there at home, or we'll uh, show it on the screen, follow along as we tell the story, as we pick up the story, as Jesus begins to make his way towards the hill where he will be crucified. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. So there are three of them, Jesus and two other criminals. Verse 33 says, When they came to a place called the Skull, it's a hill called Golgotha, sometimes referred to in Christian literature as Calvary, hill called Calvary. When they came to a place called the skull, they, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, Jesus said in a prayer, he prayed this to God while hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. It was attached to the very top of the cross, this sign. And the sign said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saying, saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. And he said to the mocking criminal don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die we deserve to die for our crimes but this man has done nothing wrong then he said to Jesus Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus replied I assure you today you will be with me in paradise verse 44 says by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Inexplicably, in the middle of the day, it got dark, pitch black dark. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted in verse 46, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When I was a kid, 
we would visit my grandmother. We would often visit our, our grandmothers uh, on weekends when we were able. And my maternal grandmother lived in Jackson, Mississippi. And we would go to Jackson to see my mom's mother. And we called her Mama Palmer because her, her, her maiden name was uh, Palmer. My mom's maiden name is Palmer, so one of my children's middle names is Palmer because that's how we roll here in the South. And so we liked going to Mama Palmer's house for many reasons. She was a phenomenal cook. Chicken and dumplings off the chain. She's ruined me for other chicken and dumplings. I, I don't think I'll eat chicken and dumplings again until I get to heaven and Mama Palmer can make me some. But Mama Palmer was a great cook. And also she lived in an apartment complex, cool apartment, and she had good reception. So she got all three channels really clearly. I'll pause here and let you soak that in for a moment. Yes, we only had three channels. Four if you counted PBS, but we didn't count PBS. It was, a, it, it was wild back then. Maps were printed on paper. There was licking of stamps. It was a dark time in our history. But we liked going to Mama Palmer's house and we'd watch TV. And if we were sitting in her living room... She would be sitting in her rocking chair, resting her eyes, as she would like to say. And sometimes I remember that I would hear Mama Palmer singing a song. My, my, my Mama Palmer loved uh, old Baptist hymns. So the churches I grew up in, they, uh, they, they, the songs they sang were in, were in a hymn book. And you would pick up the hymn book, and the song leader would tell you what number to turn to, and then you'd sing these songs. That was worship in the churches I grew up in. And my mama Palmer loved this one song, and it was called There Is a Fountain. All right? Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this song. It's a little odd, and it might even, the lyrics, the whole concept of the song is a little off-putting, and, and I'll explain why. Because in Christian faith, we refer to, anytime we're talking about the crucifixion, anytime we're talking about Jesus giving his life and dying on the cross, we often refer to how important it was that the blood of Jesus was shed, that his blood poured out of his body on that day. And we talk about the blood of Jesus, and we talk about it like, it was, it was poured out that day, but it still matters to us today. Because when Jesus poured out his blood, he didn't just bleed. And, and literally, when he died on the cross, he literally bled out. It wasn't just the physical thing that was happening. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But his blood in, a, in our spiritual life of faith has power. We're going to talk about that power today. So the Christian faith, you can't spend that much time around the things of, uh, of, of Christianity without starting to hear about the blood and the blood. And you're like, what? I mean, if you're new to the Christian faith, it might seem a little odd. It might be kind of like, you people are just gory. What is this? I mean, what, why do you keep talking about blood? Well, see, back in the very beginning of human history, when God created Adam and Eve, and shortly after... God created them and, and began this wonderful relationship with them. Our enemy, the enemy of our souls, the devil, tempted Adam and Eve and convinced them to sin against God. And in that moment, 
the relationship, the beautiful communion that took place between them, between God and humanity, was broken. And God instituted a system. And he said the only way for guilty people, people guilty of sin, to be forgiven and be brought back into relationship with me is if innocent blood is shed. And so all throughout Old Testament history, the way that people worshipped was by animal sacrifice. Again, this is a horrible thing to have to do to innocent animals. But this is, a, this is what we are saying when we talk about the blood of Jesus. Jesus offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice to once and for all shed his innocent blood to forgive guilty sinners like us. This is the beauty and the power of the gospel story. So we talk about the blood all the time. We, talk, we can't talk enough about the blood of Jesus. And if it sounds gross, please understand that his sacrifice was such a powerful, amazing, beautiful, loving thing that his blood has made the difference. His blood washes away our sins. Now, I'm going to go back to my grandmother's apartment in Jackson, Mississippi in 1970-something when I would hear her sing this old hymn called There Is a Fountain. Now, the writer of this song took the whole idea of the beauty and the power of the blood of Jesus to forgive our sins, and he talked about figuratively like if the moment of salvation happens if we were to walk up to a fountain filled with the blood of Christ. And there's this line that says, There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners who plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And she'd be rocking in that chair, singing that song. And when I think about the blood of Jesus being shed and poured out on the cross, I think about my grandmother singing, there is a fountain. Because the stains that I have in my life from my sin, nothing can clean them up. Nothing could make them go away except the blood of Jesus poured out. It's a, it's a hard thing to think about. It's a difficult thing to picture and visualize in our minds. And yet it's the power that can change a, per, a life. I know because it's changed mine. We're going to talk about the blood that was poured out. And if we, could, if we could imagine it like a fountain, like that old hymn writer did, then, then my prayer is that we will plunge ourselves beneath the flood of Christ's blood to have our sins and our guilt washed away. There is a fountain, and that's good news. I want to talk to you about the crucifixion, and I just want to briefly share with you three ideas. We're going to describe what the crucifixion, what the cross of Christ is about or how it could be explained. Three words. 
First word is vicarious. Hashtag vicarious. The, cru the crucifixion was vicarious. Now, you and I, we hear the word vicarious from time to time in our lives, and it's usually related to a little league dad or a soccer mom. Can you Do you feel me here? Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, I think this, I think this parent is living their lives vicariously through their children. Hey, me, guilty as charged. My kids are amazing, and they're like super talented and creatively talented. Uh, my daughter is a, a super creative person. My two sons are really awesome athletes. And so when they do amazing things, it makes me feel awesome. And part of that is that, honestly, I kind of live my life vicariously through them. You know, the out-of-control little league dad or out-of-control soccer mom, that's where they take it way to the, to, to the far extreme. Something, for something to be vicarious, literally by definition, means to be acting for another or doing for another. This is what Jesus did on the cross. See, Jesus was not just a martyr who sacrificed his life for a cause that he believed in, noble as that is. It's one of the most noble things that any person can ever do, is to martyr themselves for a cause or for others. But see, this is not, Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was a substitute. Jesus was a substitute. I want to show you this passage or, or this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's verse 21. It said, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He, God made Christ, who, who, was, who did not know sin. He had never sinned. He made him as a sin sacrifice to us. That's what happened on the cross. He became a sin sacrifice for us, excuse me, for us. And, and if you study that verse and you dig around in the original language, you really see that it's, it's God laid sin on Christ. It didn't just, he became sin in that moment. He became the embodiment, he became the target, he, he, all sin was laid on him. The sin and the iniquity all of us all was laid on Christ. He did that for us. Why was it necessary for that to happen? Because, because guilty people cannot be forgiven and made right with God without the sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. And it happened. It took place on the cross. And it was not just an event in history. And it was not just symbolic. It was a vicarious substitution for you and I. Christ, if, if you, you could look at it this way. Christ on the cross stood in the place we should have stood. Which was guilty. Which was deserving of punishment. It's like Christ stood in our place. He stood where we should have stood so that we can now stand where he gets to stand. The substitute, because he substituted 
himself for us. Now we get to stand in his place, which is 100% totally right before God, accepted and loved and a part of the family of God. That's the miracle of the cross, the vicarious death that Jesus died for us. It's like this. you got to understand. The reason Jesus did that was not just so we could feel better about ourselves. So we felt like maybe we could get forgiven of bad things that we've done. Yes, forgiveness is, is, is the first thing we receive because of the blood of Jesus shed for us. All our guilty stains washed away like the hymn says. But let's, let's don't forget, don't forget that it's not just that we get to skirt having to pay the penalty for our sins. It's not just that we don't have to make right what we did wrong. It's not just that our that we don't have to pay somebody back for how pay God back for how we hurt him. It's also now that we can receive something that we could never have ever earned before. It's it's almost as if a soldier got in trouble for misbehavior and he was at risk of being court martialed. He was he would be at risk for uh, for loss of rank, or for extra duty, or for jail time, or whatever. It, let's say this soldier was at risk, and 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 he was going to get his sentence would be handed down that he was going to have to pay some sort of uh, of price for what he did. It would be like the the vicarious death of Christ. It would be like saying, not only are you not going to lose rank, not only are you going, not going to lose privileges, not only are you not going to get saddled with extra duty, not only that, but I am now going to present you with a Congressional Medal of Honor. What? That's just crazy talk. That's the level at which... God brings us back to Him, back to relationship with Him through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how big a deal this is. It's like I'm, I'm just grateful to not have to be saddled with, with the sentence that I rightly deserve for what I did. But God saunters up to me and says, no, man, I'm going I'm to give you the, the, the Medal of Honor. And I look at God and I say... But I, didn't, but I didn't do anything to earn that. And God looks at me and goes, I know, right? Isn't it wild? This is what the cross does for us. Doesn't just punch our ticket to, to make us feel a little better and we can kind of come into the life of faith, but we kind of got to sit to the back of the room because, you know, we're, we're really messed up. We have access to relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, because of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ. Man, it's huge.
It's huge. We are made right with God. I've shared this with you guys before. I want to share you a quick uh, quote from a, a reading that we do at a, a, a small group, a, a men's recovery ministry that I have the privilege of, of leading here in town. And uh, in, in, in part of the readings that we do every, every week, almost every week, is we read from uh, the, the Heidelberg Catechism. I know that sounds like a trip, but it's this, uh, it's this beautiful reformed theology document that was created back in the 1500s to help people learn the truths of Scripture. And one of the questions, and the way, that's the way they did back then, you know, they, they taught people by kind of helping them to learn and teaching them how to respond to certain questions. And one of the questions in the Heidelberg Catechism, it's question 60 for the record, if you ever want to look it up, and, uh, and, and the question is, how are you made right with God? And if the uh, leader or the mentor or the pastor or whomever asked that question to a person, they would say, how are you made right with God? And once they learned all the beautiful truths of the vicarious death of Christ, uh, of Christ on the cross, here's what the person would answer. How am I made right with God? And I'm going to give you some quotes from this long reading. And it says, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. And that person would say this line. They would say, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against God, and even though I'm still inclined towards all manner of evil, nevertheless, without me deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants me the perfect righteousness of Jesus, as if I'd never sinned, never even been a sinner. And the Heidelberg Catechism reading ends by, all I have to do is accept this free gift with a believing heart. That's the vicarious death of Christ. Doesn't just doesn't just barely get us in the door with God. Doesn't just barely keep us from having to go to hell when we die. It brings us into full, righteous fellowship with God our Heavenly Father. That's a big deal. Sinners plunged beneath the flood of Christ's blood lose all their guilty stains. The cross of Christ, the crucifixion, is vicarious. You know what else it was? It was voluntary. It was voluntary. Jesus chose to do this willingly for us. There's something that Jesus said himself. It's a quote straight from his mouth from John chapter 10. You'll, you'll see this on, on the screen too. Jesus is explaining in, in verse 18. He says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to. And I also have to have and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. He's saying, I've got... I decide when I'm going to die. I'm going to decide if I'm not ready to die. Jesus said, this is voluntary. I, nobody takes my life. I am volunteering to do this for humanity. Now, this verse is not just to make us think, Jesus, bravado, whoa. Jesus is like, ain't nobody taking my life. I decide 
It's not just that, man. Although Jesus is this, the, the biggest, boldest man that ever walked the earth. And it is pretty cool to hear him talk like this. He's like, you think you're going to take my life? I don't think so, punk. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to, I choose when I'm going to lay my life down. And it also isn't just that he's saying, hey, this is part of the plan. I signed up for it. I'm going to do it. This statement from Jesus is designed to give us a, pee, a, a glimpse into his heart for us. The fact that he would willingly bear the weight of our sins. A prophecy from the book of Isaiah from 700 plus years before Jesus even walked on the face of the earth. A prophecy said the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus willingly decided to bear the weight of my sin. The weight and the heaviness of my sin. Look, I don't know how heavy your sin is. I don't. But I know how heavy mine is. I know how dark my heart has been. And how, how bad and heavy the weight of it all can be. And it can be crushing. That's just my sin. But what if we were to try to measure the weight of my sin and, and yours? Just together, the two of us. My sin and your sin. How heavy would that be? Probably be pretty intense, right? What if we took my sin and your sin... And then the sin of everybody in Columbus. How about now? What? Well, Columbus and Phoenix City. All right. State of Georgia and state of Alabama. If every person sinned, what would, how heavy would that feel? I mean, how, how bad would that be to have all of that laid on you? What about the whole country? Every, every sin. Let's go around the globe. Everybody on the planet right now walking around and breathing. How heavy that sin must have been. What about everybody who's ever, I mean not just now, in March of 2020, everybody throughout all time. I can't even... I mean, we, we can't even wrap our minds around how heavy that is. That's how heavy the sin was that was laid on Christ as he hung on the cross. And he did it voluntarily. Didn't nobody make him do that. I'm telling you, I think we have greatly underestimated how much God our Father loves us. How much Christ loves us. The manner of love that, that we would be called as children of God. How is that even possible? That he would love us that much. But that is what he did. He took the way and he took it. He took it voluntarily. Voluntarily. 
I don't know if you've ever in your journey of faith, in your thoughts about God and your life, I don't know if you've ever bowed the knee to Christ. I don't know if you've ever decided, yes, I want to follow Christ. I want to seek forgiveness of my sins through the cross of Christ. Maybe you've never done that. But who who has earned the right to invade our lives and change us and lead us into a new kind of life? Who in the world has earned that right more than Christ? No one. And so I propose that the best move ever is to come to the cross, so to speak, and bring our hearts and turn from our sins and say, God, forgive me through your son Jesus' blood. And maybe you have been walking with God in a in, in faith for years or for a little while or for a long time. I don't know. But is it possible that we've sort of disconnected and not understood the depth and the height and the weight and the width of God's love for us? Could we have maybe sectioned this whole cross thing off into the corner as something that we did once to kind of get in the door with God? What if the cross is the centerpiece of our lives or is supposed to be the centerpiece of our lives? What if that's the whole point? What if we are supposed to live our lives in the shadow of the cross, so to speak? Why would we do that? Would that be depressing? Would that be heavy? I think it would be appropriately sobering, but you know what else it would do? It would mean that we would never forget how much God loves us, ever. We would never forget it. And this is the life I want. And it's available to me all because Christ voluntarily laid down his life for us. He was mocked while he was hanging on the cross. Because all they could see, uh, the, 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 the thief on one side of Jesus was like, Dude, I need to be bailed out of this horrible situation. This gross grotesque death that I'm dying. If you are who you say you are, get us down from here. And the leaders that were walking around, they were mocking too. And they were saying, if he is the Christ, he could, he could undo all of this. They just didn't get it. He, he stayed on the cross because he is the Christ. He didn't need saving. He stayed on the cross because I needed saving. He stayed on the cross because we needed saving. And he did it voluntarily. And let this cross remind us every time we see it how much God loves us. The cross of Christ is vicarious. It's voluntary. And the last word I want to share with you is victorious. The cross of Christ is victorious. Jesus died the most agonizing death ever. And he got the job done. He got the job done. He won. It was a spiritual victory on the most depressing thing that any human could ever see, which which is a crucifixion in and of itself was brutal. But to see the best person that ever walked on planet earth dying in that way. Worst day ever. Worst day ever. 
And yet it was the biggest spiritual victory ever. There's a, there's a verse in, uh, in Colossians, and he talks about how it, through the cross, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Because although the crucifixion was an actual real thing that ha- happened on an actual date in history, ordered by an actual Roman prefect that you can look up in the history books, and you can look up that he tried this dude named Jesus and told him to be, that he'd be crucified on a certain day at a certain time. I mean, it's, in the, it's, it's history. It's locked in. Yeah, it's all of that. But there were spiritual realities that were taking place that have implications to this very day. And that's what this verse is talking about. In this way, in the, through the cross, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He there's this, there's this passage in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14. It's not on the screen. But it basically says that by his death, he crushed the power of the one who, who held the power of death. So Jesus used death to undo Satan's best weapon. Satan's best weapon is death. And Jesus used his own death to undo Satan's best weapon. It's kind of like when... David killed Goliath. You guys remember the story of David and Goliath? Even people who don't know Bible know the story of David and Goliath because it's a phrase that we use. You know, if an underdog team beats a really good team that's tons better than them, it's called a David versus Goliath story, right? Well, when David as a teenager beat, it, beat this nine-foot-tall giant dude that was the best warrior in the world at the time, and he just, in hand-to-hand combat, hit him with a slingshot, killed him, David ran over and took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. Cut his head off with his sword. That's what this was like. This is kind of how God operates, to be honest with you. He takes the worst things in our lives and he uses them as the actual weapon of our victory. The worst stuff that ever happens to you can end up becoming the best parts of our stories. Can end up becoming... The best part of how we explain to people why it is that life works for us. And that's what Jesus did. He used death to disarm death. Powerful stuff. The victory was won. A debt was paid. A a battle was won that day. The transaction was made and it was sealed. And the debt that we owed for our sin was gone. Christ won the victory. That's what God does. As we get close to wrapping up, I want to tell you guys uh, something that you might not be aware of about the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs, the uh, Major League Baseball, one of the Major League Baseball teams in the Windy City of Chicago. The Cubs, uh, you might remember just a few years ago in 2016, won the World Series. It was awesome. It had been 108 years since they had won a World Series, which is not awesome. But the Cubs had this tradition. It started in the 30s at Wrigley Field, which is where they play. And at Wrigley Field, if the Cubs win a game, they have a huge flagpole on one end of uh, Wrigley Field. And if the Cubs win, they fly a flag, a big white fly with flag <laughs> with a huge blue W on it. And that's to let everybody know the Cubs won today. Now, 
the reason they did that back in the 30s is, you know, technology didn't exist. People, the only people who knew whether the Cubs won or not were in the stadium or if, the, if they had heard through a, you know, a radio broadcast or something like that. Right now, I can tell you, you know, in the middle of a game who's winning or not because of technology. But back in the day, they didn't know. So, in the afternoon after the, the, uh, the Cubs played, because they didn't even put lights up on their field until 1989, so they played all their games during the day. If they won, they, they flew the W, which was awesome. You could just be walking around that area of Chicago, and if, you, if it was clear enough and you could see the stadium, you'd either see a big W or a big L. So in recent years, it's been kind of a thing where Cubs fans like to use the phrase or the hashtag, fly the W. Fly the W, meaning we won. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, we're, win, for the, win for the Cubs. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because I always look for a way to talk about baseball during my teachings. But also... Because I think we need to learn to fly the W in our spiritual lives more often. The victory that was won on the cross by Christ sacrificing himself. The ultimate W. The ultimate win. Here's the thing. When we wake up in the morning. If we've bowed the knee to, knee to Christ, if we've asked for that vicarious voluntary death that he, that he died to pay the price for our sins, every morning we wake up, if we were to check the flagpole, so to speak, guess what's flying up there? A W. The win, the the victory has been won. We wake up in a win every day. We wake up. We wake up knowing, you know what? I wake up today realizing I don't have to earn God's smile today. I don't have to pay God back for all the stupid stuff I've done in my life. I don't have to try to fix my life on my own. I wake up in the morning saying, I don't have to get on God's good side today. I, the, the, the flag is flying. The W is flying. The victory has been won. Let's learn to fly the W. And I guess, technically, if we had a flag flying above our, our spiritual lives, maybe it wouldn't even be the letter W. You know what it would be? It'd be a cross on it. And every time I that's that's the deal. Every time I see a cross, if I see it hanging around somebody's neck, if I see it tattooed on somebody's arm, if I see a cross on the side of a building, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the vicarious, voluntary death of Christ that has won this busted up heart back to the Heavenly Father. That's what the cross means. It's not a piece of jewelry. It means a lot more than that to us. There's a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. 
and in this uh, in the message uh, trans uh, the, the the message version it says uh, it says God put the world square with Himself through the Messiah. God made us square with Him through Jesus. Just think about that for a second. God put the world square with Himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Man, that's good. The best news ever that came from the worst day ever. You know, that verse doesn't stop there. That'd be enough. That's good news. But that verse also says, now God has given us the task of telling everyone what He is doing. God has given us the task of, telling, of spreading the word, spreading the message that those of us who are far away from God, which is all of us, by the way, have been brought back to Him. We've been, big Bible word is reconciled. We've been brought to, back together. And that passage of Scripture, if you read on in it, and I encourage you to do so when you get a chance, it goes on to say that it's like as we tell our story, we're, we're actually ambassadors for Christ, telling people the story. Because the, the center of every one of our stories is the cross of Jesus Christ. As we're telling them, it's as if God is speaking through us to the world, saying, you can come back now. You can come back to me. We get to share the message. We get to say things like, the, flag, the, the W flag is flying over my life. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter. What, what, about, the, what about this crazy quarantine madness that we're all dealing with the flag's still flying what about the economic impact am I even going to have a job after this where, where are we going to live how are we going to function I don't know but I know the flag is still flying what, what are you doing between now and the time you get the diagnosis back or you get the report results from the tests back I don't know what I do, but I know I wake up every morning and the flag is flying. The, the W is flying over my life. And we can tell people, and they can say, how in the world can you believe that? And we can say, because the worst problem I ever had was the weight and the heaviness of my sin. And Christ won. Christ won. In this time, in just a moment, our band is going to lead us in a really cool song that talks about Jesus dying on the cross and talks about how, well, it just says straight up, no wonder, no wonder we call him our Savior. It's a beautiful song. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to invite you to do what I've done. And that is to come to the cross, spiritually speaking. I don't, I don't know where you're watching this. I don't even know if it, it, when you're watching this. But 
and there's probably not a big, you know, five foot cross standing or sitting somewhere around you. But I would say this. What better day than today, in the midst of the madness of our world, to come to the cross and to kneel before God and say, God, I need forgiveness. I know I'm a sinner. And the weight of my sin is too much for me. Would you come to the cross this morning? I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I want to lead you in a simple prayer that would maybe help you take the step of leaning in with faith, faith and belief in Christ and turning from sin towards the love of God, our Heavenly Father. If we do this today, anything is possible. And change can begin in a way that will, will be hard for you to even understand and imagine how much God could do in your life. Pray with me. If that's you, if you want to come to Christ, if you want to come to the cross, pray with me. And say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't carry the weight of my sin on my own. Help me turn from my sin. And forgive me. May the blood of Christ wash all my sins away. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together with this song.